Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. We have returned and we are here with a film called Candyman and joining me today, I'm Alan by the way, hello. Joining me as always is Saul. I hear you're looking for Saul. Well, you found him, bitch. (laughs) I hope they've seen the film. (laughs) And... And in a bizarre turn of events, we spoke the name Calvin into a mirror five times, and look who has appeared. It was always me, Alan. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm Calvin. Hello. Thanks for having me on to talk about uh, Candyman. Calvin. We we had Calvin on an episode very recently, but we recorded that like over a year ago. So this is actually (laughs) the first time we've recorded an episode with Calvin in a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Hi, and we Calvin. were supposed to record this. Hello, Sol. We were supposed to record this talking about Candyman. Oof, a ways last year was it? Uh, and well, it just whenever gets... it was supposed to be released. Yeah, yeah. pre pre pandemic. Yeah. This is one of those that has just been kicked down the line every like three months or something, hasn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. We we actually went ahead and recorded the Purge and Kingsman two episodes. Uh, the Purge is now out, Kingsman 2 is not yet. Um, unless you're on our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Dim Returns. It is available there now, ahead of its official release. Uh, mm. And we nearly went ahead and recorded Candyman, but we just thought, nah, fuck it. There's no point recording it and letting it fester on a shelf for a year and, you know, things get outdated and so on. Let's just record it a year from now. Mm. That's basically what happened, isn't it? So here we are. Um, speaking of the purge, I I I saw the purge anarchy. No, the forever purge last night, and um, the fact that that film got delayed is incredible. You know, you know, in our purge episode, we spoke about how amazing it is to think that that film was three years prior to uh, Donald Trump being elected president. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's astonishing that the new purge movie was not conceived and written and shot after the storming of um, the Capitol building in January oh, really? of this year. It, honestly, when you, when you get around to watching it, it is just bizarre to think that they made the film before all that happened. Mm. Uh, and then it sat on a shelf for a year. So yeah, let's let's see when, when this new Candyman movie comes out. Um, maybe it will be full of references to... No time to die, getting delayed again. Uh... <laughs> well, when when this was due to come out last year, I think in one of its uh, proposed release dates, uh, I'd heard that Jordan Peele was very keen on it coming out prior to the election because I think there's some kind oh, really? of thematic resonance something. So uh, mm. this was one that I thought was just going to go straight to video on demand, but I guess they kicked it down the can until they could get theatrical. He's done the old classic, hasn't he? Candyman runs for president. Oh, <laughs> too easy. <laughs> uh, Jordan Peele. He is, of course, the producer of this reboot slash mm-hmm. straight-up mm. sequel. I think what we have here is a sequel to Candyman masquerading as a new entry point for commercial yeah. reasons. His name is on the screenplay. Oh wow! Uh, him, Win Rosenfeld, and Nia DaCosta, who is also the director. Oh yeah, okay. I I really am very excited to see what they do with it. 
Um, mm. I do love Jordan Peele, and I love his whole foray into horror. On the flip side, the trailer for this film was like a, a Saturday Night Live parody of what a Jordan Peele Candyman movie would be like. <laughs> did you think i i I quite like the look of it um well i i saw i think they released a trailer recently that's the one that i saw oh i haven't seen that no i'm talking about the trailer Uh, back when it was originally coming out which is um interesting it's like a slow ominous remix of that uh is it is it by destiny's child say my name say my name Oh dear me. Oh really? <laughs> it's like a load of slow footage cut with say my name, say my name. <laughs> but it doesn't work at all. They've tried to do a, a a repeat of the Us trailer with the, you know, I got five on it, which worked brilliantly, but it just doesn't work at all. So hmm. anyway, I wouldn't be excited to see what Jordan Peele does with Candyman if there wasn't uh, an interesting film here for him to build on so i mm. guess we should talk about that the the original Candyman, yeah uh from 1997 no right? nope nope 92 92, 92. <laughs> 92. yeah okay 90s it's very of the 90s <laughs> well i know and i always I, this is must be about the third time that i've seen Candyman, uh, directed by bernard rose same here um, i watched it for the second time a year ago in preparation mm. for recording this podcast and was really annoyed that i had to um watch it again in such close proximity to refresh my memory there are two things that catch me by surprise every time i revisit Candyman. the first is that it's not of the 80s. It's not of the same mm. ilk of, uh, you know, Freddy Krueger and uh, Leatherface, even though that was 70s, but, you know, Jason Voorhees, that kind of, because he's yep. sort of grouped in with Chucky and those yeah. sort of slashers. And I always forget that it isn't actually a Clive Barker film. Um, mm. It's just based on one of his short stories. It's based on a short story of his. I'll, I'll tell you what always surprises me with this film every time I sit down to watch it. Ted Raimi's in it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I think of this film being, you know, classier than your average uh, horror movie. Certainly has aspirations to be, you know, more than just schlocky horror. So it's it's odd that Ted Raimi is in that opening <laughs> scene. Who's Ted well, Raimi? It's, it's odd that Ted Raimi is playing a teenage stud muffin. Yeah. <laughs> supposed oh. to be cool. Te- Ted Raimi is uh, Sam Raimi's brother who, you know, one ah. of Sam Raimi's brothers, the one who has carved out a career as an actor in well the evil dead movies uh whenever they needed like a stand-in and then he sort of turned that into a full career <laughs> just being in like <laughs> low budget horror movies was he one of the teens at the beginning where they have some kind of flashback to uh he's billy because i i did think that that guy looked like he really shouldn't be playing a teenager <laughs> yeah. it's so it's such a weird way to start this film but yeah he he's the he's the man who's far older than uh, the teenage character he's playing at the start who <laughs> is in the house when the babysitter woman yeah, person he sees he comes around to shag the babysitter his girlfriend yeah yeah and uh one of them says Candyman in the mirror five times not three times uh everyone always thinks it's three times but it's five times that's beetlejuice isn't it yeah, <laughs> yeah. what's bloody mary i was gonna say i think the, the bloody mary legend uh of quote-unquote real life on which this whole Candyman mythology is based I think is you say the name three times Mm. or you just say the name like an indeterminate 
number of times over and over until they appear depending on who you're listening to but yeah Candyman is five times i i was in a pub quiz once they asked how many times you say Candyman in the mirror mm-hmm. and they said it was three and someone on my team got really angry and went up and yelled at them and said no it's five times well good <laughs> did yeah, you ever when you say someone on your team you mean you right no no i i didn't realize i thought it was three i i you know it was only re-watching them well it was only when he went up and made a stink out of it i was like oh okay i thought it was three did you get your point we did get our point actually yeah the, the, the quiz master apologized to the room and everything well that's a, a load of other teams got really mad because they'd obviously put three down <laughs> Did you um, ever do this when you were kids? I remember doing it with my friends, like Candyman. I hadn't seen it when I was a kid, but it was a bit of a sort of like a, no. a dare you to do it in the mirror sort of thing. I only became aware of this. Um, I mean, interestingly enough to say that Candyman is all about urban legends and, you know, modern mythology and all that. There was a point when the internet was still relatively new. I remember discovering the website Snopes.com. <laughs> They're more firmly established now as, you know, fact checkers for random bits of fake news that, you know, your aunt will share on Facebook or whatever. But back then, I I kept going on there just to, like, read the categories because they they have categories of, like, urban legends about Coca-Cola and they have all these classic campfire stories. And it was like a... I almost used it like a horror website, like, reading these creepy stories. And I I first (laughs) read about the, the legend of Bloody Mary on there, like... Uh, mm. You know, I, I I imagine it's got a false symbol next to it. Bloody Mary, false, <laughs> not real. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that was my first encounter with it, and then I think I found out about Candyman as a kind of like, oh, I wonder if they ever made a film of that. No, I was always far too scared as a child to get involved in such things. <laughs> Do you remember this? film coming out alan you're a bit older than me and sol i know you'll still been a kid when this came out so you probably no. weren't switched on to these kinds of things but uh, no memory at all of it being in no, the consciousness no, I, didn't anything. I was never a horror guy and that's still not i mean i i watched these films i watched all three actually um just the last couple of days and i've definitely like seen images of it i know tony todd I, and the bees all that sort of thing yeah not the bees not the bees not the bees but i'm not sure if Killing i've ever actually seen the film bring back your goddamn honey <laughs> uh, i'm not sure i've even seen the film all the way through before certainly didn't remember it. it must have been a long time ago so yeah it was pretty new to me and dare i say going in early here it was a lot better than i expected it's a very Alan-y horror movie, this one, I think. It's ill-defined, it's very yeah. poetic, um, mm. not a huge amount happens, it's quite slow. <laughs> well, I was expecting it to be kind of on the level of, you know, your... Friday the 13th, yeah. Yeah, and the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels, yeah. and all mm. that sort of stuff. So, it was better than that. Uh, and so that was that was good um i thought it was actually well made and good acting in the first one and all that sort of thing yeah yeah. so and i think the the candy man is a very imposing villain without being too cartoonish like a freddy krueger style Mm. Uh, so yeah there's lots of things to like here which we'll get Mm. into Mm. Hmm. i do think of this as a film of two halves 
There is the first half, which is kind of Virginia Madsen's character doing a lot of real-world investigating of this urban myth. Her character is writing some kind of paper about urban legends, and she's researching into the Candyman, and then that leads her onto this uh, trail of uh, clues and things that eventually leads to the actual mythical man himself, um, who appears around about halfway into the film, apart from, like, a little stinger at the beginning. And then I think things... Right, yeah. Okay, right, yeah, so almost exactly halfway. And then I think it it goes off in a very different direction, or at least that's how I sort of uh, divvied it up when I was watching it. Uh, Virginia Madsen is the star, and she's, like, in every single scene, I think. But I thought she was really quite brilliant here. Um, do you know the stories about how the director had her hypnotised before some of the scenes to get that spaced-out look? Yeah, I have heard <laughs> this, yeah, yeah. The, the the scenes where he's um haunting her, I guess, isn't it? The the, the ones yeah. where she's being accosted by Candyman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I quite really like impressive. that. I quite like that whenever he was around, it did have a kind of otherworldly sense to it. It was mm. this vagueness of how much of it is real, how much was in her head and all that kind of thing. And I really liked that. And yeah, and she she seems like in that kind of classic, slightly hypnotized, docile behavior i think that permeates the entire film though i I, my real takeaway from watching this again the other day is just how ethereal the whole thing is and i i I wrote a little letterboxd review a very pretentious one but i'm quite pleased with it where i (laughs) i um i said it's less a nightmare and more the sensation of waking up on a a sunny saturday morning having just had a nightmare where you still feel a bit (laughs) kind of uneasy you know it's going to take a bit of time for that that feeling to dissipate but it's you know it's it's quite warm and friendly you know the cinematography is really yeah. warm and there's gorgeous set design even though it's you know showing us a slum it's that classic kind of beauty and ugly places i suppose you'd call it there's philip glass music like mm. obnoxiously you could argue uh over the soundtrack like it, you know it's a relentless uh, philip glass score just over the top of the whole film but i i like it i think it gives the film a real personality and it adds to that dreamlike uh nature and i think it well it's it's clearly intentional it's clearly building to a kind of dreamlike feel and i think it really works in this film's favor because it's ultimately a ghost story it's about someone Mm. being haunted or cursed i guess you could say by a by a ghost and ghosts by their very nature are ethereal and and dreamlike and not real and so to make it work in a film i think you have to embrace that which this one does yeah Mm. I agree, yeah. and I think, it, but it still manages to maintain the kind of horror atmosphere of it, yeah, where they're yeah. just kind of you know sneaking in the shadows and all that yeah. sort of thing. And you know, you're, without you're, without you're... feeling cheap, you know, the, yeah, obviously yeah, well... he he appears in the mirror. It's kind of where you see him yeah. first, so you have the classic mirror scare, but it doesn't feel overused, and it feels like you know it's coming and all that. It, yeah, it feels very considered do you want to get into the lore of candyman because i've watched all three yeah. and it definitely gets weaker the further it goes <laughs> well, <laughs> they i might be wrong here but they pretty much lay it all out in the first film and then just repeat it in the sequels don't they they do and then change little bits but without without any real consequence you know it's, it's fine because yeah. in the first one um virginia madsen's character is out for dinner with like one of the most obnoxious people <laughs> to possibly be out <laughs> to dinner with some is that the stephen fry kind of guy yeah who's you don't know the story and it, it's very odd because they're saying you know oh we're doing our study and they're being a bit closed off about it 
And he's like, well, you let me have a look at it, darling. I'll tell you what to do about it. Uh, don't worry. Because he's like, he's just being very condescending to them. Because he's a professor and they're students, basically. <laughs> but they're like doctorate students or whatever. It's not like they're kids. But yeah, he's definitely being condescending. And that's why she's like, oh, well, shove it up your ass. And, and, and then he goes, ah, oh, you don't know anything, do you? But to be fair, if you are doing a doctorate study on urban legends and you're focusing on Candyman. Learning the basic backstory does feel like that should be like day one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but I they think... didn't have the internet back then, Alan. You couldn't just look it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> it was true, yeah. She was having to look up stuff in newspapers. Right? She was having to interview people to find out what they heard the basic backstory was. <laughs> the book, like, there, there weren't any books about Candyman out yet because this guy publishes it in the second film. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I do think that in the first one, it's a really effective way of getting that exposition out with this character. Like, he is really obnoxious and very unlikable, but he does have something of a voice. There is a theatricality about him. So when he's telling this story, we don't have flashbacks. Yeah, maybe. But we don't have flashbacks or anything. And that... It, it makes it all the more effective because in the second and third one they really overdo it with the uh, sort of hammy old timey Victorian uh, actors. Not the bees. In. Not the bees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas it's to 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 see it happening it takes away from a lot of the mystique of it. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. When when they start, I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but when they start slathering honey on him, it just makes me think of Winnie the Pooh. It, it doesn't. <laughs> scare and it's a weird story like Candyman is a what he was the son of someone who made a fortune designing some kind of shoe producing machine (laughs) uh so he is educated (laughs) isn't that the plot of jumanji (laughs) (laughs) so he's sort of educated the mayor (laughs) <laughs> but he's educated and wealthy beyond sort of what most black people would have been in the late 1800s or whenever it was um, supposed to be said. It was yeah. like, yeah, Civil War time, wasn't it? Um, and he was also an artist and he fell in love um, with a white woman and the angry villagers didn't like that. So they... Uh, well, yeah. he impregnated her. That's the worst thing. Is that in the first one? I can't remember if... Yeah, I think so. Well, I don't okay. know if it's specifically impregnation, but certainly they were... The The problem is not that he falls in love with her, but that she falls in love with him, uh, I think. It's mm. that they actually want to be together. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's the problem. But yeah, so obviously it is um, racially charged. Mm. And I found that all very interesting because obviously the, the, the original source story is set in Liverpool in England because it's yeah. Clive Barker yeah. and it doesn't have that. So that has been put onto it. It's a pretty straightforward transfer from class struggle to race struggle, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so I found all that very interesting and it worked yeah. for me. It all yeah, hung I together. Think I think it's done really well and, you know, it's it's something that i don't really feel was very well explored in 1992 you know it, hmm. it, there there is a whole subculture subculture subsection of black horror i guess is what you'd call it and i think that really kind of did come out of the 90s um you know films like tales from the hood i don't know if you've seen that and mm. um blackula yeah yeah i guess so i mean that's obviously from the 70s but yeah you know what it's it's the modern or 90s spillover of the black exploitation genre now that you say it but there there were for a while a whole load of black horror films and they they tended to be by their very nature very you know about 
uh, racial issues and, you know, you'd have racist white characters getting their comeuppance and ancestry in African countries and things coming into play. And Well, I, I thought in, in this first film, I thought that didn't particularly come across. And I guess it's because it, was, it wasn't written as that intentionally. Mm. Uh, and, and that whole race, race stuff does just play into kind of more like it could easily work as a class struggle or whatever. They definitely play into it a bit more in the sequels. But in that yeah. first film, I, I think it it could just as well work with a, a white villain or whatever, and yeah. and I, I and I like that because it feels like it's not well, it's not exploiting that that theme. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just yeah. using it. Uh, so I like that. I like that. I didn't know. I was reading about this later that this is the only like non-white kind of horror film bad guy or like you know monster what? person. I think that's or something like that. Of well, of the what time, most certainly. Of, of like slasher yeah. films, basically. Of like, you know, well, pe- people. Is Michael Myers white? Yes. Yes. Have you seen The Love Guru? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, it, just on the subject of the uh, the racial sort of subtext, I think it, it should be pointed out that Bernard Rose, who, di- wrote, who did the screenplay and directed the film, is a white English man. Hmm. And I, I think a part of uh, just linking on to what you were saying, Alan, about it not being fully explored or committed to a part of it is that just taking that clive barker story which was about class and uh, the main character was researching graffiti as opposed to um, urban legends but if you take anything out you know take a class story in the uk and put that in america it immediately becomes about race because mm-hmm. race is just the bigger divide than um, than class so a part of that was kind of just adapting the story for the location naturally gave it that and i also think the director was quite a read somewhere that he was um you know as soon as they saw um cabrini green this place in chicago and they knew that they wanted to shoot there and uh it's kind of built it a bit around some of the you know it's yeah. it had a reputation as a dangerous neighborhood and and all that kind of stuff so it was somewhat retrofitted but do you know who um they originally wanted to play Candyman before they cast tony todd oj simpson <laughs> eddie murphy oh <laughs> that's what so that would have been a different film altogether. On, what? No, that that doesn't make, that doesn't add up at all. Yes, it yeah, does. No, it's, How what does are you it? Because he was a big, well-known, established star. Exactly. So why would he take this role? Well, he didn't. <laughs> they couldn't afford him. Well, no, yeah, they couldn't afford him, but they wouldn't. Eddie Murphy at that point is not going to do a film where he doesn't turn up until forty-five minutes in for a start, and also. Eddie Murphy doesn't play these kind of characters. What is he going to come in and like start cracking jokes? No, yeah, they, no, prob- be... they probably went to him and said, "Look, we want you to play against type. Uh, mm. That that's something that happens a lot with comedians. We probably only need you for like two days of filming max because you're not really in the film all that much. You <laughs> will be, you'll be like the most prominent. You're the t- titular character. You'll be on the posters. You know, you'll get all the credibility of being a lead actor for very little work, and we'll probably pay you more than anyone very else. Very little in the work. Film. He's supposed to spend three days in a bloody bee costume, <laughs> wherever it was. Yeah, in the sequels, <laughs> in the bee with the bees on his face. Yeah, well, in they probably mouth. wouldn't make. They probably wouldn't make Eddie Murphy do that. Plus, they know he likes doing that anyway because of the fucking makeup he puts on for all his movies. That's like three days sat in a makeup chair, letting someone paint your face like a an old Jewish gentleman or a. I don't know. This sounds like one of those facts that isn't true. An urban legend. Yes. <laughs> I, I can totally buy that, that they'd, you know, be putting it together with him in mind and then ask his people and they'd say no. 
doesn't really. No, I that. totally believe that someone went. We're making a film with a prominent male black character. Who shall we have? And they went exactly. Eddie Murphy. Yeah, because there was no other prominent black male actor. That was Look, there. Alan. When when I produced Finding Fatima, we we wanted Hugh Grant in the movie. Now, as Fatima. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we we, uh, we I I explored the possibility of us getting him in for like a one day cameo of being like a rom com mentor to the main character because he knows rom coms, which I thought might be a way to crowbar him in. But one day was more than the entire film's budget. Well, yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But anyway, thank goodness they got Tony Todd, because I think he's perfectly cast here. Um, mm. And a, probably a better actor than his resume uh, is probably give him credit for, really. I really like his performance here, actually. Yeah, I like I like what he does with it. It's not overdone. I think it's mm. quite uh, understated. I, mm. The fact that whenever he speaks, it feels like it's dubbed in with a kind of echo on it. It gives again, it gives it that ethereal feel. I really like that. He's one of the the horror icons up there with Ted Raimi. Um, <laughs> is that is that because of this film? I mean, yeah. He obviously went on to be in the Night of Oh no, the Night of the Living Dead remake was before this, before wasn't this, it? Yeah. No, it's yeah. this is what makes him No, this is what made this is what cemented that, but I guess he was obviously on, you know, working in the horror circuit prior to it. He's a very imposing figure, isn't he? So that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, but this is obviously what ensured that he, you know, is still being cast in little low budget horror films today that, you know, they'll go out of their way to get someone and they can get Tony Todd. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. uh barbara gordon what's her name out of reanimator is it barbara not barbara gordon what's her barbara name? Barbara gordon's something. out of batman <laughs> yeah barbara something the woman from the reanimator woman. well i'll tell you what i noticed about him uh, and the character in general the way that he's dressed and the way that he's presented in a very kind of 19th century dandy kind of way and also the when he's actually with usually the the main female and it is quite seductive and he's sort of tempting her in and it's just and it was i just remembered that this period there was a whole you know raft of vampire sexy vampire yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. going on wasn't it and oh, i think it really, it's tapping into that as a as a style it really reminded me of yeah vampire fiction interview like with same. a vampire and all that sort of stuff yeah yeah i had the same thought but and and i think that it's a bit of a confused like i i do as much as i like the film it was more for the atmosphere rather than the plot it was all a bit vague and confused because yeah. what what exactly his motivation is and all that sort of thing you know obviously he got he got screwed over in life so now he's what just killing random people for a laugh like that's his thing but then he's also seducing her he's saying like be my victim but then he's setting her up as if she's doing the crimes like i don't know what he's doing or why and so then when later on when it becomes about how do we stop him there's no motivation to do that either so he's trying to turn her into a a, a legend so that she can become immortal and a ghost like he is uh so he can have a a lady friend because uh, yeah. well, he wants a ghost. he doesn't have any female friend he's just well, he's lonely mm. he wants her to keep his legend alive as well and that's why he sort of does all of this um you know killings it'll be all very high profile and people will start talking about the candy man again um because at the moment it's just the people Who of can take the sunrise <laughs> And so that's kind of, um, yeah, his... But I do agree, when 
in the second half when a baby is kidnapped and it, it gets into all that and Virginia Madsen is suddenly her main goal is to rescue this child and everything, th- that's when it starts to go off the rails a bit for me when they have to give him yeah. a motivation and they have to give him some kind of something to do with yeah. her. But, but she also reminds him of his uh, the, the girlfriend he had who he uh, impregnated and got um, yeah lynched for basically. Um, and so that's why I think, Dracula, so I think it is that's Dracula, though, isn't it? Yeah, mm. she looks like a painting of the old woman he used to bang. Yeah, the old woman. Like you say, Calvin, it does sort of shift gears halfway through, and I think it's a credit to the film that it held on to me despite that, because I was yeah. really enjoying the kind of murder mystery sort of elements of the of the mm. beginning. I I do agree that it doesn't quite stick the landing though. Like you know, the, all all the pieces yeah. are here for a film that I would you know fall in love with it would be one of my all-time favorites and it doesn't quite manage that even though i do think this is a good film it, it, it never quite feels like the sum of its parts i guess mm. yeah and i think that that betrays its origin as in it's not an old urban legend it's not been told around the campfire for years and years it's just someone made it up kind of on the spot and then it's been developed a bit. It hasn't got the history and backstory to it. Mm. I mean, we haven't done Clive Barker on the podcast before, have we? Have we? Yeah, I watched Hellraiser recently. It's not really my sort of thing. I've never I seen it. I watched Hellraiser 2 for the first time recently, and I was actually very impressed with it. It was much better than I expected. Well, he didn't direct that one. So. <laughs> well no I, I i like hellraiser but you know i expected hellraiser 2 to be like you know Candyman 2 for fuck's sake and uh no it was all right but this really isn't clive barker like this is not a clive barker film even though like i certainly no no like seriously he had like nothing to do with the production this is bernard rose i think it feels cut from the same cloth as hellraiser this is why I always make that association in my head, even though I've not seen Hellraiser. I know, obviously, you know, and well, I know enough about Clive Barker's stuff to know that there's an awful lot of, um, yeah, sadomasochistic stuff in there, and uh, that feels like Candyman here is kind of this sexy character in a way. Um, but seriously, it's just it's just based on his short story. Like he didn't produce it, mm. he didn't write the screenplay, he didn't direct, he wasn't on the set. But uh, there's a lot. I mean, I don't know how how loosely based on that short story it is but it does have a lot of similarities to hellraiser you know there's a there's a Mm. sordid romance between a an evil supernatural being and a a human and you know one's kind of corrupting the other and one's kind of manifesting the other and you know they're they're dealing with ghostly entities from the afterlife and and there's a kind of ethereal dreamlike quality to them both that i think there's a lot of similarities really um and i i get that he didn't have any real involvement beyond the short story but i what when i think of clive barker is this kind of thing (laughs) oh yeah i think of no, totally. That's why I'm like, like I say, like I'm really surprised that he wasn't really all that much. Like this is a Bernard yeah, Rose yeah. thing. He he read the short story and he really liked it, and he went to Clive Barker and asked for permission for it. And so, I, but I don't know enough about Bernard Rose's other work to kind of know if this is in line with that or if it, it, maybe he wanted to make his own Hellraiser thing. I did listen to most of the commentary that he does with Tony Todd on the film, but uh, yeah. it's really strange. They spend the first twenty minutes talking about uh, Avengers infinity war and a quiet place <laughs> and uh bernard rose mm. liked infinity war and tony todd didn't and uh vice versa for uh a quiet place if you 
are interested. Yeah. But um, yeah, in interesting anyway. <laughs> so uh, let's just dig into the plot a little bit for what it's worth. So mm. basically, the there's a, a woman and another woman, and they are investigating urban legends. They go into housing projects to look into this legend of the Candyman and discover information about this murder, etc., etc. In doing so, they conjure him up. They say, maybe they do the mirror thing, I can't remember. So then he comes out and starts killing people and making it look like Virginia Madsen has done it. Mm. Right? Now he kills the dog and kidnaps a baby. That's what he does. That's the first yeah. thing. So she wakes up, she blacks out, wakes up, she's covered in blood, there's a dead dog and a missing baby. She gets arrested. And this is how it all starts. This, Well, this is mm -hmm. halfway through the film, but this is how the real plot starts. And then, somehow, she gets let out of prison. <laughs> well, I'm not quite sure. Well, the baby's still missing, so I'm not quite sure why they've let them... Because they find her, like, attacking the mother with a knife. Like, there's not really much... Yeah, but she... Well, she's white, Alan, in America. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and they have money. But even so. <laughs> the woman she's attacking is black, isn't she? Yeah. Yes. Well, there you go. That's, that's yeah. realistic. It's America. Yeah, I but think we have to take there. that as the, yeah, <laughs> the reasoning. But the thing is, it's not that she gets out on bail or something. They say they haven't charged her. And the, the guy who's there, he says, oh, they, they're expecting to find the baby dead. That's why they haven't charged you, because they're going to charge you with murder. And I thought, well, hang on, is that how it works? Is that if they charge you with like kidnapping or assault, and then turns out it's dead, they're not allowed to change it? Before the baby's been missing for uh, seventy-four hours, they can't do anything. Yeah, because it's probably just run away, right? That's how it works. That's yeah, everyone okay. knows. That's that's how the law works. <laughs> well, and if they don't I'm... find the baby within ninety-six hours, they'll never find it. <laughs> is that it? It's a twenty-four hour window where they go again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That that is how it works, isn't it? That's the rule. <laughs> well, I don't know by what you think rules are. <laughs> That's what your pal says in his movie. Oh right. What when his daughter gets taken? <laughs> That's why you gotta go find himself. Uh, which is what happens here. Candyman sort of seduces her in this weird way, dreamlike state, and says, "Oh, give, come to me and give yourself up, and I'll give the baby back." Basically, that's the deal, right? Um, mm, labyrinth. Yeah, I was just wondering, would you give yourself up for a, like a stranger's baby? Basically, someone you don't even know. Um, I think she, she, I think she does feel guilty because she is the reason why this is all started happening again. And I think by that point, has her friend been killed as well, or maybe not? I'm not sure, but um, yeah, I, I, I think there is some guilt at play there. She, she gets out, and then a friend comes to visit her and gets killed, uh, obviously uh, by the Candy Man. But uh, it looks like she's done it, so. She gets put into some kind of mental hospital and and sedated for a month, uh, mm. and she's finally woken up. And nice. uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like my Saturday night. Am I right, guys? No, I don't know if you know what sedated means or month. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh. But yeah, so yeah, she's she's completely uh, nutso, or everybody thinks she is, and certainly the evidence is there to suggest that. But she is convinced that she is going to escape, so uh, she is going to prove her innocence in some way. So she murders the doctor who's looking after her, 
you know, through the Candyman. Well, I don't think she intends on doing that. I I agree that it's misjudged <laughs> that she sort of uh, yeah summons him to the place or gets him to summon him to the place. I can't remember who's actually says it into the mirror. Um, but yeah, I don't think she wants to kill him. I do enjoy that kill though, like the whole groin to gullet thing that. Uh, the Candyman does in this thing. It really does. Like when he's got the right psychiatrist like over the desk and he's just like, it, it, you really just feel, I think the actor does a really good, well, both actors do a really good job kind of selling it. Um, and it's just a really horrific, gruesome, visceral um, kind of killing. Like, you know, if, if, if uh, you know, slashers have to have their method of killing, machete, knife, whatever, like Candyman has this hook and the fact that you know, he does that, it's just really, yeah, impressive. This is another thing where the whole thing just feels thrown together because, you know, you got this backstory of him being, you know, a, a black man who gets lynched, basically. But then a hook, uh, yeah, they cut his hand off and, and then there's a hook. Like, that's kind of just, oh, well, hooks are scary. And the bees, the bees don't, don't feel very relevant. And also it's just, it, they don't even use the bees that well. I don't think it's like you should have the power well, of the bees or something. Well, he does, but it's not scary to attack people with bees. It's stupid, and the film the films film. are laughable whenever they try and use the bees. I like it when he's got them in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's called Candyman. That stems from the fact that bees make honey. Yeah, but no one calls honey candy, do they? So that doesn't really work. Well, not now, but in the olden days when they didn't have, like you know fizz pops and shit when they didn't have like <laughs> sherbet dip dabs or um sour jaw breakers did they i bet they did well li- little old ladies call like everything like fruit pastels they'll call them toffees so did i think they? people just didn't know what sweets were in the old days didn't they no i think you're making this up American, look. I think you're making this up like Clive Barker did. It's just randomly throwing uh, things together. Um, hook, bees, yeah. Maybe just. He wrote a load of things on it on paper and then picked two randomly out of a hat. Americans think chocolate is candy, right? So. Of course they think honey is candy. Yeah, they do. Well, what is candy then? Well, sweets. Sweets to the sweet. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. There's a bit too much going on that maybe maybe it is a bit too much for like the first i know that the sequels try to sort of explain more about mirrors and bees and where his name comes from and the hook and all of this kind of stuff yeah. but there is an awful it just doesn't lot. tie in it, like it yeah. all makes sense you go look they cut off his hand and put a hook there fair enough but that it's not it doesn't thematically tie in to what we're dealing well, with. well do, do they not use hooks like that in the process of um getting honey no. when you like when when you see people like climbing up cliff sides to get at big bee nests, <laughs> beehives, to get the honey out, they they always have like a big hook that they just mm. ram into it. But mm. I don't think that's how they do it in America. I think they would farm the bees, and then you wouldn't go in with a big hook. Well, that's what I mean. It's not. It doesn't all add up, does it? It's just a. But is it thing. is it meant to be a giant bee sting? Is that how it's relevant thematically? Hmm. I guess he doesn't sting people with it, does he? He doesn't yeah. just pop it in and poison them. I hadn't thought had... that. No, it doesn't really work. <laughs> but maybe. <laughs> maybe that's the idea. If he had a giant hook attached to his arse, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> what What would you give him as a weapon that is thematically relevant? Oh, okay. A paintbrush. Um, oh, a, 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 a big shard of glass. Oh, a mirror, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe he just uh. kills you with reflections. Mm. He just makes you think about your life and reflect on yourself and go, oh, God, what am I doing? <laughs> kill yourself. That, that would work for you, but I think most people, that's not <laughs> guaranteed. I don't know. I think if most people really thought about their lives. Maybe his hand should be like Terminator 2, but with honey instead of metal, and it can just form hmm. into like different shapes. Well, what about just it just oozes honey? Like he opens his mouth and like honey just. Yeah, but out. he can make it go solid so he can make like a knife out of honey if he No, wants. it just drowns people in honey. No, it's uh, don't mix it up. I I must say, while uh, there is a lot of you know talking it through and everything, there's a there's some inconsistencies and some like where does that come from? I I must say, I'm not thinking about this when I'm watching this film. I think it's yeah. a much more glaring yeah. error in the uh, glaring thing in the sequels. Um, it definitely holds itself together well enough to get away with it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, should we wrap up the first one and move on to the sequels? Because yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Well, I think. Um, well, just just be, like, did you notice that? Um, basically, she she gets out of the mental institute and um, goes back to her home, where it turns out her husband is already shacking up with his young uh, student um, mistress, mm. uh, and that that doesn't go down very well. I love the. Um early on when they need a, a jump scare uh, and normally they'd like throw a cat from off camera onto the bed but it's like a, a a human being has to be kind of flung onto the bed to get the <laughs> effect and it's meant to be that he's just like getting into bed after a drunken night out but he full on like leaps <laughs> past the camera into the bed so like the most weird human in the world like no one would ever <laughs> Do that. <laughs> would... Don't know. I'd do that. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So the the relationship is doesn't seem that good, even when they're uh, before she starts killing everyone. Um. <laughs> so what I wanted to ask was, if you were married and your mm. wife went crazy, killed some people, and then died in a fire, um, mm. just bear, just imagine that all happened. Would you take your mistress to the funeral? <laughs> <laughs> Because he does. You get the sense... Well, <laughs> you never really know... Uh, Helen does meet that girl at the start, doesn't she? So I don't know what their relationship is, but the fact that... Uh, I think there's some there's something quite... Just nice little details there. This husband is clearly a bit older than Helen, and clearly more senior to her in whatever research thing it is they're doing at the university, and the fact that he's like going off with another student, I think, is quite... You know, Helen might already be his second or third wife, and he's already got this <laughs> next graduate student lined up. I just thought that that was a nice detail. She herself is obviously a graduate student now, so you've got to assume they met with her being a student, him a tutor, so yeah. she knows she knows what he's like. She knows it's not just frowned upon, uh, you know, relationships between those. Mm. So I think is is the idea there that you know he is emotionally invested in her, even though he's ending things. And obviously, it's quite difficult when um, a partner or someone you care about goes mental. And oh yeah, he seems genuinely concerned about the whole thing. He's just yeah, banging so... some young chick on the side. Yeah. But I think this new partner is, you know, also that's his emotional support, isn't it? She's there for his sake. To mm, well, I don't know if mm. I'd actually take her to the funeral. Yeah, I mean, may I, I'd maybe have a bit of tact in case her, you know, <laughs> friends and family were also going to be there. But well, <laughs> there you go. Did you see who was at the funeral? None of her <laughs> friends and family. Fair enough. Her best friend, she killed her. 
But <laughs> no family, it turns out, because there's him, the mistress, the other tutor who we saw earlier, and another guy who's like their lawyer or something. Uh, that's it. Yeah. No friends at all. Not even a few work colleagues who just might kind of like, oh, yeah, better go just to show some respect. She went mental and killed other people, but she did save a baby. <laughs> I kind of liked that, though. I, I, I do like this husband character, so I've not really talked about him. He's played by Xander Berkeley, but never do I get the sense that he's going to be a confidant or anything like that. Anyone, like, reasonable for her to go to to um, talk mm. through her issues. And yeah, I do kind of like that he isn't just the moustache-twirling, like, asshole yeah. boyfriend who's just so clearly having an affair mm. on the side. Yeah, it feels quite real. Yeah, and the the fact that at the end he's like locked himself in the bathroom and he's crying and he's he's having flashbacks to her and it's like oh it, it, you know he do, he does care about her. Yeah, this is actually quite a lot to work. Even if the relationship wasn't working that well, you know, still mm. if your wife who you've been living with and presumably loved at some point goes yeah. mental and then dies, that's that's you got to work that through. And you got yeah. some bloody nineteen-year-old trying to make your dinner and doesn't understand what you're dealing with. <laughs> Yeah, Pet <laughs> paints the whole place in horrible pink. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, but I, what I like, apart from that scene at the end, which is obviously just like a horror film coda, where it's like, oh, it's not over, it's just carrying on. There's a very real sense, that this is how I enjoyed the film, that Candyman is not a real thing. It is just an urban legend, and all this is going on in her head, and she's killing people. Hmm. Uh, until right at the end, really, where, you know, she as a she comes back as a ghost and all that nonsense. But I prefer that explanation because it helps. Of course you do. Because it's <laughs> more real, but also because it helps to paper over the vagaries and nonsense of the plot that didn't really make sense. Uh, mm. So I like that. I, I prefer that take on it. Uh, and I like that the film, the film, you know, essentially lets you have that possibility. I mean, it doesn't, but then the end doesn't work with it, does it? So it doesn't. I'm thinking like, yeah, she wouldn't have gone out of those restraints without some kind of supernatural. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but I, I know what you the mean. the restraints were just in her head. Well, mm, yeah. I do find it weird that the whole thing comes down to her fighting Candyman in a, a wooden pyre to save <laughs> a baby. Like, that's, again, like like I say, like, I'm yeah, I, I, I was really with it for like the first 45 minutes to an hour and then it it starts, and I, I know this is like when Candyman comes into it, and I don't want it to seem like I don't like that character, because I do, and I really like Tony Todd and what he's doing, but it just, the story just goes off in a bit, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 you feel like the film knows exactly what it's doing and where it's going up until a point, and then at a certain point it starts to feel like, uh, maybe this was a bit messier than mm. I thought it was going to be, maybe yeah, this is yeah, a bit yeah. more... Mm thrown yeah. together than i thought it was going to be um so mm. i i do i kind of agree with you there it, it it starts to lose me a bit i think we are all more or less on the same page with this by our discussion i think we're all gonna have very similar ratings um should we get to ratings or is there anything else you want to say about the film yeah sure go for it okay well uh i i think soul perfectly articulated my kind of feelings on it earlier on where there are so many ingredients here that Oh, if it just coalesced a little bit better, this could be like one of my absolute favourite films, and certainly one of my favourite horror films. Um, I like an awful lot of what is there, though, um, but it, it it's just prevented from being in the realms of greatness. But I love the Philip Glass score, I love the actors, I'm really with it for that first hour, and I like its whole mood, but 
when it comes to the climax, it's a very much a damp squib. So it it is a seven from me. Yeah, I, I I'm gonna echo that. I um part of why I am actually quite excited to see the Jordan Peele reboot uh sequel that's coming out is because, as you say, all all the building blocks, all the ingredients are there for something really great. And the thought of you know a filmmaker that I like that much being involved in putting them together. It's like, oh, they could do something really good with this. So yeah, as it stands, I do like this film a lot, but it doesn't hit the heights that I perhaps feel like it should do. Um, it could easily be a, a, a an 8, or if not a 9 out of 10 for me, but it's just not quite fully baked. It's a little bit mm. half-baked, so I'm giving it a 7 out of 10 as well. Yeah, I agree, basically. I would say this, to say this is a genre I don't particularly care for, I did enjoy this, but it, it, it won me over on atmosphere rather than the specifics. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah um, a seven. Good old, good straight down the oh. line seven, really. Hmm. It was enough of a success to uh, get two sequels mm. uh, out of it prior to the, the new one. Mm. Candyman 2, Farewell to the Flesh. And in the uh, sort of early to mid-90s as well, which these first two come before Scream, um, which rejuvenated the uh, sort of slasher horror genre genre in uh, the mid-90s. And for something new to come out, because all of the 80s slashers were in their like part sixes, sevens, eights at this point, with Jason and Freddy and all of those, so... um... Yeah, I I just wanted to give some context of what the horror landscape was when Candyman 2 Farewell to the Flesh came out, because I think it's to their credit that they don't immediately just go with some, like, you know, 10th uh, rate slasher. Like, they hire Bill Condon, who I know hadn't made an awful lot at that time, but he's still a director who is going to bring a certain... Um, level of thoughtfulness to proceedings, I guess. Um, I don't think of him as, you know, in in the same league as the people who directed Halloween 6 or whatever. It's like he has gone on to have a very successful career. Um, You know, Dreamgirls, he directed Twilight, Beauty and the Beast, Gods and Monsters. Uh, He's got a good career. Um, So they're certainly looking to keep going along the track of, dare I say, elevated horror that the first one is sort of in. Yeah, this one opens with that Stephen Fry looking guy out of the first one, the the stuffy professor. And I was like, oh, he he survived. I I forgot that he survived the first film. Yeah, when I saw him, I was like, "Oh, great! Can we are we going to have him for the whole movie? Is he going to be our main character?" <laughs> and uh, of course, he isn't. He is very quickly <laughs> killed in the opening scene. You must be the only person ever to think to. <laughs> oh, yay! Philip Purcell is going to be the lead of the Candyman series from now on. Oh, come on! You'd love it, Calvin. I would, yes, but stuffy old British man getting on a book <laughs> tour. <laughs> that's why you love Rob Zombie's Halloween too, isn't it? That's pretty yes. much what that's about. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, so the opening scene is him on a book tour. You know, they get a few fake uh, fake out scares with Candyman attacking, and oh, it was a setup to promote the book and that kind of thing. Uh, and then <laughs> Candyman kills him for real. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's basically it for like interesting stuff in this movie, right? <laughs> I yeah, I I found this film basically I this film was just a 
fairly boring retread of the first one. Doesn't add anything new, really. Uh, doesn't do anything very interesting. But, you know, crucially, the first one was trying my patience by the time the credits roll. <laughs> you know, it, it, like, it, it's really good and peaks and then starts to kind of come down and, you know, outstay its welcome. And this one picks up there and keeps going down. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, I, I think this is a really shit film, basically. There's <laughs> barely any plot, and I guess it just hasn't got the atmosphere to paper over those those cracks uh, the way that the first one does. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I will say in its defense that they they move the action to um, New Orleans. Oh, New Orleans. Uh, yeah, what's the the carnival called? Um, Mardi Gras? Mardi Gras in New Orleans, mm. uh, which, you know, is a great uh, injection of flavour for a horror film and certainly, you know, one that's relevant uh, to the, the themes being explored. So I'll give them I'll give them a point there. I agree that I like the different... Saying it in a new city entirely is really cool and it gives the film a different flavour. Again, just going back to the Candyman mythos, like, I did get the sense that Cabrini Green, like, that area meant something to that character and he had that graffiti ridden lair there and the candy with the razor blades in it and all that kind of stuff it it felt like that was his domain some low-level like gangster who's adopted his persona um yeah yeah no i i yeah Agreed. But the Candyman himself also like his ashes were spread there or something like that um and and you know he has a presence there. He keeps the baby hidden there. It's it, it feels like there is something going on there. Whereas now but, I guess he's just gonna hop around all over the place, depending on which blonde woman is gonna terrorize. Depending on which city is giving tax breaks to make films yeah. in that particular <laughs> year. But it's it's like how Dracula is. You know, spends a lot of time in Whitby, but he'll <laughs> yeah. pop down to London. If uh, if yeah, he's true, true, he'll he'll go off to the jungle if they're if they're doing that for uh, was that Dracula two thousand in the jungle? Have you no. seen that? Is that <laughs> nope. the what's the one where there's someone looking at like they're filming a woman on a video camera and then they see the woman kind of going and like looking upset and they're like what and then they stop looking through the camera and Dracula's there like. <laughs> drinking her blood <laughs> no. in the middle I of the jungle. I don't know that. <laughs> but he couldn't see Dracula because he doesn't show up on video cameras. Oh, God. <laughs> mm. Well, they, they tried to turn... <laughs> it, they, they, they tried to build on the mythology of what was in the first one. They tried to make this in some, yeah. some kind of big family saga because... Oof. Okay, so Candyman's lady friend that he got murdered for had the baby who was raised in white society and no one knew that it was his baby and then we're what two descendants down there's veronica cartwright and kelly rowan as the tarrants and then there's a brother who's in jail because they put him there for murdering the english guy at the start and it's 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 all very strange isn't it uh, and they're all really boring characters, and I hate them all. And, <laughs> They've managed uh, to center a, a, a film around a black character and make all his descendants white, <laughs> so that they don't have to yeah. cast black people. <laughs> and, yeah. and half the film is her having PTSD about her mum dying with blood coming out of her neck or something, so we just have to keep watching variations. Of no, her. that was the third one. 
Yes. Oh, is it? That's the oh, third. Shit, that's yeah. the third. They all look the same, though. So well, that one's about. shit too. Like, I watch these in quite quick succession. Yeah, yeah. me too. I don't know. I th- I think it's a pretty steep step down from two to three. I oh, I, I think that no, there's a little same. bit more going on in no. two. Um, you know, and and I think you could you could do something to with that if you're going to build on the sort of the racial themes of the first one, having a you know a, a family that present as completely yeah. white dealing with you know some kind and, and you know him coming into their lives and dealing with that of their own ancestry and the lives that they've been living and their reluctance to accept that part of their ancestry and all that kind of stuff i think that's that's an awful lot yeah that's what's haunting the family history yeah but they don't really explore it it doesn't work to that no no it doesn't work to that (laughs) yeah i mean i i just it's just an incredibly boring film was it even this one where they were the descendants or were they just in living in the same house. In the third one, they're definitely the descendants. But are they in this? Yeah, one no, of course well? they are. Yeah, because well, the, th- the 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 next one is the young girl from this one grown up. It was oh right, I was going to ask that because I wasn't sure. I thought it was the same name, but then obviously it shows her mother as different. Person. Yeah, but it's supposed to be the same. It's the same character. Right. Hang on. Does that mean the third one's set in the future? Yes. Yeah. According to the Wikipedia article, it's set in 2020. Ooh. Yeah, what? I know. But anyway, let's talk about the second one. For that explains all the flying cars. Because, <laughs> because I agree that it's it's mainly boring, and I have a hard time remembering anything that happened in the middle. <laughs> um, but there is this terrible yeah. ending with this model house in the uh, in the water that's falling apart. <laughs> Oh, it's very Clive Barker, yeah. And the effects on Candyman as he falls apart are pretty horrific too. But I also want to shout out to the lynch mob, which are just comprised of some of the worst actors I think I've ever... We see how Candyman gets his name when some young boy like licks honey off his face, off his own face, I should say, and then just says Candyman, and some woman in the crowd gets a look on her face and just, like, some absolute euphoria at this suggestion, and then they all start chanting Candyman together as he gets stung to death by bees. It's really weird. Well, they didn't have TV back then. <laughs> no, no. didn't have candy. <laughs> All I like, literally, all I can remember now about this second one is that opening scene with the book, and then there's a scene in the middle where there's a man selling snow cones, yeah. <laughs> and a woman licks some snow cone syrup off his arm, which is pretty gross because he's like an old man. <laughs> and then our main character's like, "Can I have a snow cone, please?" And he's like, "Yeah, you better come have one of the special snow cones round back." And then he shows uh, his special Candyman collection. <laughs> Uh, Is that right? Yeah, <laughs> something yeah. like that. Basically. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, uh, and 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 this um, Kelly Rowan. I don't know this actress from anything else, but very wooden here, very bland. You just don't get any of that Virginia Madsen uh, trance-like oh, yeah. state. I didn't dislike yeah, yeah. her actually. Mm. I, I was okay with okay. her. Yeah, I thought she was. Mm. It was TV actor, but I thought she was okay. I th- I thought she could have been a lot worse, but I mean, she's certainly not on par with the first film mm. yeah she's not as bad as the person in the third one. Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> we, do you want let's rate this second one when we okay. on the third all one. right the second one bullshit three out of ten hated it pissed off i've watched it twice now uh, yeah. i watched this one a year ago oh. as well i mean i got through it i didn't i didn't particularly feel like i was it's, it's certainly no uh it's got nothing on 
compared to the uh, the abject boredom I felt watching all the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels. So I gave it a, a, a four. I, I I'm also giving it a four. I thought there were a couple of fun-ish kills, and I think Tony Todd's still really good as Candyman. Yeah, um, that's true. I, I think it it yeah he's in it. <laughs> I think it does an admirable job of trying to uh, yeah play into that elevated horror. It's trying maybe to deal with mm. some themes that are a bit more than what your standard slasher sequel would yeah. do. I don't think it quite works, but it, it the fact that it's trying it, it gets points for for that. And I also love Veronica Cartwright, so the fact that she pops up here, I'm very pleased to see her. <laughs> Remind me if um. If the radio DJ character oh! pays off at all. God! No. Yes! It doesn't, does it? Because no. that's such an annoying character. It's such an annoying, like, oh yeah, we watch the Warriors, or, you know, do the right <laughs> thing, and we like that that vibe, so let's have a radio but DJ. But it, it's like, doesn't... without that, there's n- it's like to give it a bit more of a New Orleans vibe. Mm. Yeah, if, if if anyone hasn't seen it, um, from the start of this film onwards, you're just subjected every now and then, at r- totally random intervals. <laughs> To someone just being like, well, let me tell you about the Candyman here in New Orleans. New Orleans, uh, Mardi Gras means farewell to the flesh. That's thematically resonant, uh, relevant to the film. <laughs> uh, a lot of people dying out there today. Mm, here in New Orleans, music uh, makes you out in the hot, hot sun. Watch <laughs> out for that hot sun and uh, go eat your snow cones and don't take candy from strangers. Oh, it's just, it's just It's shit. really weird. It does feel like a very last minute kind of, uh, right, test audiences don't know what's happening. We need some context in some moments, but then yeah. it's just all, yeah, interspersed with just random musings. It's really odd. We need to make it as short as possible because it's really boring. Let's remove <laughs> these three scenes, but the film won't make sense without them. Can we just add some voiceover to kind of make it make sense vaguely? At least they bring back the Philip Glass music. Um, in just yeah, a, true, they just re- repeat it. Uh, I don't know if he like <laughs> came back to re-record the soundtrack or something. I feel like they might have just taken the exact same recordings mm. and used them again. But I like that tune. And then they made a third one. Ooh. Well, look, I, I I don't think there's any real difference between yeah, the second and third I, in quality. I agree with that. And if if I had to watch either again, I'd I'd probably watch the third one again. Now I will I will throw my hands up in the air. And I will acknowledge that that is because our lead character is someone who was plucked out of uh, Baywatch. And, you know, she's very of that whole, you know, she, she was a playboy playmate. Really? Because I, I didn't recognize her or anything, but I... She, yeah, neither did I. She I... immediately struck me as this is someone who was attractive 10 years ago. And is really struggling to hold on oh. to it now. At age, she's now thirty-five and struggling to hold on to that cheerleader look. Um, yeah, I like that. I like that when they're they're on the turn, but they haven't quite gone yet. <laughs> I uh, the the first scene of that of the third one is a dream sequence, and her character comes into a room, and it's all like, and I'm like, oh, okay, so she's like the first kill. It's oh. like you know, a slasher movie thing. That is exactly that's, that's what exactly I what I thought. Exactly yeah. what I thought. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought, yeah. She's here for like five minutes and then she's gone and then she doesn't die and she just, she stays for the whole thing and I'm like, oh my goodness, oh no, <laughs> this is really bad. Um, but yeah, she's supposed to be the daughter 
the young girl who we see at the end of part two, this is her grown up and her mum that like cuts her throat is that main character from the f- second film. Yeah, and, and they just, I mean, they hammer that home for the rest of the film. We just watch the mum's throat being cut and blood coming out in various ways. She keeps remembering her, or uh, is she meant to be physically appearing as a ghost? Uh, I mean, uh, Candyman's um, mission objective as well here seems to be a bit, it's gone full on Michael Myers. Like, he, I guess he wants to kill his family, but I don't know why he would if he wants to maintain a legacy or i don't get it yeah just fucking shit up any well there's some kind of incesty thing going on keep him on the toes there's that scene in this one where he's like caressing her and he's on the bed with her and it's it's weird because it's like Sticky oh she's bees in her well, she's supposed to be your great 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 granddaughter and she's i hate all fine. of this like all of this the, the, that's these a lyric in it and busted <laughs> These uh, various sort of stages removal, family-wise, it just it, it makes it all very tenuous, and I don't really know what he's. They've got some horrible effects on him here as well. There's a bit on a yeah, subway where he looks like that. he looks like Mary Poppins floating <laughs> yeah. in, and I, I think he's supposed to be floating <laughs> in on a bed of bees. There's, there's a bit where he kind of floats in, and I don't I don't know if like something went wrong or if they were doing it intentionally, but whatever they've done has made Tony <laughs> Todd look kind of elongated and slightly misshapen. Like he's got yeah. almost like he's wearing like a fat suit over his arms. Like yes! and big rubber gloves instead of actual like rubber gloves that have been stuffed full of newspaper instead well, of Well he's hands. got a it's big very... hook on one of them. Like that's obviously not his real hook. But it 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 just I don't know, it's almost like a fake body or a distorted body. It's just it just looks the bizarre. <laughs> well, I think I, I don't know if they've got him on some kind of rig or something that he's stood on so he doesn't have to walk or I think I know the scene that you're talking about. Is it the one in the subway? Maybe. I don't know, okay. I can't remember. That was the bit that really stuck out to me. He looks very striking and disturbing in it. It's quite a cool visual, but I I can't tell how much of it is intentional and how much of it is just <laughs> they just lucked into some uncanny valley type aesthetic by mistake from trying to cover something up. Hmm. I mean, at, at, at the end of the film, it gets very silly because it basically goes like Dorian Gray uh, with a big painting. <laughs> but yeah. every time she like slashes the painting and every time she slashes the painting, Candyman gets like a cut, but a load of bees come out. And it's just really funny because it's like, oh, he is like Oogie Boogie from Night Before Christmas. He's just <laughs> literally stuffed full of bees. Mm. And the, the other problem is he's lost the voice. Uh, like at some point between these second and third film, he's like got throat cancer or something because the voice is... <laughs> gone mm. now it's much more husky well he's full of bees oh, yeah, i don't true, think he, i true, think yeah. i think his character in this one is literally it's a load of bees like operating <laughs> a skin suit now now i'm interested okay <laughs> that's a sequel i want to see so whenever he talks there's no power behind it because that it's all the bees flying at the right frequency to kind of go just <laughs> to like sound like speech and they're doing a good job, to be honest. Correct me if I'm wrong, there's no attempt to explain how he returns in either this one or the previous one, is there? He's just back again. Like, they vanquish him at the end, but he's just back. Like, in the Nightmare on Elm Street series, they do make a point of sort of explaining, to a degree, how Freddy is resurrected. Whereas here, it's just, oh no, he's just around again. Surely every time someone says Candyman five times in the mirror, they bring him back, don't they? And that happens at the start of the second Yeah, I think the idea is that Mm. if if someone believes in him, then he can come around. 
guess that's the only thing they hang on to. Mm, it just means that there's no, like, like, like sort of this Dorian Gray thing of, like, at the end of the second one, I think they destroy a mirror, don't they? And then here it's a painting. There's always some kind of talisman that they need to go after, but it just means nothing because it just gets, yeah. it gets Candyman out of your hair. It doesn't mean that he's not going to reappear at some point later on. Um, there's so many terrible uh, fake jump scares in this as well. Like, it's the absolute worse like and this is in 1999 as well this is post scream and you have a scene where the main character is walking into a building and she hears this like oh my god help me help me oh no don't kill me and all this kind of stuff and then she's like rushing in and then it's her friend who's rehearsing for a horror film and it's just oh that's the absolute that's the lowest <laughs> common denominator of that is just the i mean that or throw a cat in at someone those are just the two and the fact that they're doing it in 1999 though as i say this film is supposed to be set like 20 odd years after the previous one so i don't think they put a date on it in the film it's like the old Mummy movies, the sequels they made to the um, Lon Chaney, was it, Mummy movies in the 40s, yeah. where they're like inexplicably set in like 2030-something just because of the amount of times they kind yeah. of have the <laughs> kid of the previous character grown up as an adult. Yeah. Uh, it's a shame. I'd, I'd quite like a Candyman movie set in the actual future. That'd be, you know... <laughs> Mm. novel because they're not even making an attempt at it here it is just it you know i maybe they just don't expect people to remember the previous one or uh, <laughs> soul did well, you I not didn't. you you didn't even pick up that this was supposed to be the the character no and i i watched these movies literally uh back to back in the same day yeah and I didn't remember. <laughs> I only noticed because the lead character's called Caroline, and they made a point in the second one of, oh, she calls the daughter Caroline because that was Candyman's, uh, the name of his love back in the day. So that, that was the only reason why that name stuck in my head. It's not good. Okay, so um, what did you rate it then? Uh, well, it's a two from me. Like I say, I, I felt like this was a, a further step down from the previous one. I'm glad that they didn't continue on this trajectory. It certainly doesn't tr- even make much of an attempt to have any loftier sort of themes or ideas. It feels like it is just going down that straight, right? Candyman is just a killer and he's going to kill his descendants and that's it. But the mythology of the character is really muddled at this point and they keep retroactively changing his origin in ways which is um, yeah distracting i uh, i'm really interested to see what uh, jordan peel does with the next one and whether or not he's going to acknowledge these sequels at all i can't imagine he will mm. <laughs> but uh, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll see i i don't it's no surprise to me that it's taken them like what 20 years after this to Go and make yeah. another one. I gave this one a four as well. I don't know if I could tell the difference really between the second and third one. So four, maybe a bit generous, I suppose. I, I gave this one a three again, like the last one. I also mm. would struggle to tell the difference other than my misogynistic hormones. <laughs> oh, God. Not treating not treating people as equal based on their gender and appearance. What What is that about? <laughs> I think it's a significant step down. I can't believe that you don't see a difference. I I, I think it's chalk and cheese. Uh, I think they're both shit and difficult to watch. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm very uh, excited for Jordan Peele's film, though. I, I really am interested to see. I mean, they're, they're going to have to acknowledge the internet, right? I would have uh, thought so. <laughs> I don't know when it's set. 
But no one, no one has mirrors anymore. They just turn the camera phone round and look at themselves <laughs> in that. What genuinely? What do you think the odds are? Someone's going to say Candyman five times into a phone. Yeah. Filming themselves. Yeah. 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 I reckon like forty percent likelihood that will happen. Hmm. I'm curious to know what, because it was all a bit vague at first about whether or not Tony Todd was returning as Candyman, and I believe they've confirmed that he is, but oh, wow. yeah, I don't quite know what's going on there. It looked, when I looked at the trailer, it looks like the main character kind of becomes Candyman. Like the Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah, exactly like <laughs> that. So, but I, I think we'll probably see Tony Todd kind of in the mirror, but then he kind of possesses the body of this other younger man so they're bringing back vanessa williams from the first one who was the uh, the mother really? of the baby that got taken and huh. i think that one of the lead characters is that baby grown up i must say I'm, I'm very excited to see like actual black voices take on this character and do yeah. a story with oh, him absolutely. like i think i think that that's gonna be really um i mean i do think that the first one was the only one that really sort of touched on any interesting themes regarding that but it's it's still coming from like a white english bloke so i think you know yeah. it's very yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very uh, uh separated from the african-american experience and i think that you know this film with the creative people it's got on board i think it's going to do some quite interesting things hopefully i i agree i i think it's great when when people kind of embrace a, a character like that and then you know put some authentic spin on it and and on that note if anyone is looking for a director for a speedy gonzalez movie um i am i am available arriba arriba what's he say vamanos <laughs> and alan couldn't care less about seeing it I don't think Alan even knew it was coming out. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing it. You know, I, I like what Jordan Peele is putting out there. The one thing that does make me a bit hesitant is that I've watched Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone revival. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I kind of know what happens when he's, you know, got a finger in the writing, but isn't invested beyond that. Ah, <laughs> uh, interesting. Hmm. It's uh, it doesn't tend to work out very well, and it can be a bit heavy-handed. Is basically well, it's certainly how it went with that show. Hmm. But you know, if he has an actual screenplay by credit rather than just you know story by, then I'm a bit more excited. I'm looking forward to it, but not as much as I'm looking forward to Nope, his uh, upcoming third directorial effort. Because hmm. uh, of course, you know, listeners. Um, Get Out, we spoke about back when it was up for Best Picture at the Oscars, way back when. And uh, I think we were all like, yeah, decent film, alright, bit overrated, just the Stepford Wives. But then Alan and I went and did a whole episode on Us uh, when that came out, available on patreon.com forward slash Dim Returns. Uh, and basically, I loved Us loads, and Alan was like, yeah, it was interesting, but I don't really think it was that good. Uh, but Calvin, you've seen us since mm. we did that, haven't you? So yes, um, yes. I think and you're on my side with it. Oh, I absolutely loved it. I yeah, it was a nine out of ten. I think when I rated it on Letterboxd, yeah. um, absolutely adored it. Yeah, I rewatched it and bumped it from an eight to a nine. Uh, recently, yeah. I for me, it was everything I wanted Get Out to be, and it wasn't. You know, it was it was like right. That was the kind of mainstream ish effort you know that, that was someone kind of pulling their punches whereas this is just a, a filmmaker doing whatever the fuck they want and it's mm. you know unique 
innovative, scary, still saying something, but obviously just a concept done in a way that's not going to be nearly as um, appealing to the masses. And mm. didn't give a shit. So I, I just cannot wait to see that continue with, with no. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Candyman, what's your favorite candy? Ooh. If you were, if you were, go- if you were going to be a man made out of candy, <laughs> what candy would you like to be made out of? Oh, that is a very good question, Sol. I think, uh, uh, Sol, you took issue with chocolate being candy earlier on, didn't you? Yeah. But you're saying okay. you'd be a, a man made out of chocolate because that's a recipe for disaster on a hot day you're going <laughs> to Well, I don't want to think about the practicalities of it. Any other candy would be fine, but Well, that's exa- that's what the question is. The qu- it's also <laughs> yeah, race like you're going to get in trouble for racial insensitivity uh, insensitivity oh, because chocolate man is a slur. <laughs> oh dear. I would go with I say I'm trying to think of what's the most practical, you know, sweet that isn't going to be prone to ants eating you. <laughs> well, they all are. Falling apart. I'd be Bertie Bassett. <laughs> okay, okay, that makes sense. Because no one's going to eat you if you're made out of licorice, because it's disgusting. <laughs> I think I'd be made out of, like, chew or something, like, all squished together, because if you're kind of like that, like the blob, it doesn't really matter. Like, you can keep putting new chew on and reforming yourself. Do you know what I mean? I think I'd be a bit happier about that situation. Mm. I think it's a silly question. Uh, I think it started out fun, and then Sol brought logic <laughs> into it, and <laughs> changed. Uh, unlike Candyman, which went the opposite way, and look how fun that ended up being. Yeah, uh, I really enjoyed this episode, I've been looking forward to this for ages, so, fun. Well, thanks for listening, everyone, uh, to Candyman. Do uh, let us know what you think of the Candymen, the three that have been, the new one, all of them. All right, bye. (laughs) All right, that's enough.